Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest I'm very excited about. I've been wanting to speak to her for a very long time. (laughs) She was originally on our screens many moons ago in The Only Way is Essex. She's done so much since then. It's Lydia Bright. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I've been wanting to come on this for a long time as well, so thank you. We oh. finally made it happen. We made it. How are you feeling? Are you well I'm rested? Feeling good. Are you sleeping and all that jazz? Yeah, we were going to go into this before we started recording, <laughs> didn't we? But I do co-sleep, and people would think that maybe that means that I don't get a lot of sleep because I sleep with my child. But I actually sleep very peacefully, and I'm very lucky that my child has slept through the night since she was eight weeks old. Ah, oh. uh, have you co-slept the whole time? Well, she was in a cot. Yeah. And then as soon as she got out of her cot, then, yeah, she came into bed with me. But I'm one of them rare mums that 
very rarely as tired because my child's always been amazing at sleep. That's so good. So I'm very lucky and let's just hope it stays that way. Our kids jump into bed with us a lot when Tom's away, but also they're like little ninjas. They just appear you know, in the bed next to me. And I quite like being able to reach across and touch a little head and feeling like the, the little curls or whatever and just kind of yeah. go, yeah, there you are. It's great comfort, I think, in that, which is probably why she slept really well as well. Maybe, yeah. I think as adults, we don't really enjoy sleeping alone, do we? And yeah. where I am a single parent, it's always just felt very comforting, me mm. having her next to me. And it's not like I was ever in a rush to get her out for somebody else to be there. Yeah. So... It's just work for us. Don't get me wrong. I do sleep still with my maternity pillow. Do you? The big, you know, the big you maternity pillows. Lydia, I think you meant to get rid of that. No, I've not got rid of that. Firstly, because I do actually struggle with my back. But secondly, it kind of works as like a barricade because obviously children do move a lot in the she's night. still moving, yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's like, <laughs> it's like Cirque du Soleil in her dreams because she does all sorts. Like, she's everywhere. So, yeah, that kind of cushions the kicks and the hits and the blows. <laughs> so, I mean, if I could give a tip to anyone that wants to continue co-sleeping, I would invest in a giant U-shaped maternity pillow. Like, mine goes all the way down to the knees. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so yeah. much. It's a king-size bed. Yeah, the pillow probably takes up half of it. I hug a pillow when I go to sleep. Yeah, so maybe nice. a pregnancy pillow is not a bad thing. It is the whole back thing. Yeah. Because also taking the pressure yeah. off of different parts. I don't know if you found this as well. Like I struggled a lot when I was pregnant with lower back pain. Yeah. And I had the early stages of my pregnancy, I had back labour. And... Ever since then, my back's always felt a little bit... Like, when I get to an evening, it always feels a little bit sore. Yeah. So the maternity pillow, you know, it's got lots and lots of benefits. I've heard people, like, clinging onto the maternity bras and not wanting to take, get rid of those. Yeah. But not the pillow. I don't wear well, bras at all, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really have a lot you. to hold. Good for you, Lydia, okay? I mean, I'd love to still have to wear a maternity bra, but there's not really a lot to put in it, so <laughs> I'm, I'm OK with that one. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm loving this chat already. Um, Lydia, tell us more about yes. where you grew up. Because obviously, okay. Towie, everyone's going to think that you're a Brentwood born and bred. Yes. That's not the case. So I've always been like on the cusp of Essex, like the Essex, London, East London borders. So yeah, I grew up in Wanstead and then we actually went to the same school, didn't I know. we? We just found out. Because we went to one of them schools that everybody travels from yeah. all over. I mean, so, you travelled far. I was the next door neighbour. Yeah, to be fair, you were lucky. <laughs> but it was a language school, wasn't yeah. it? So a lot of people would travel like further than I did to go to this school. It was an amazing school. Yeah. Anglo-European, like yeah. big it up. It yeah. was absolutely incredible. But yeah, I used to travel into school every day. So that's maybe why I've got the really strong Essex accent. <laughs> Mind you, you haven't. Um, I had hearing difficulties as a child, that's why. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I wish I did. <laughs> and then now, yeah, I just, I live where I've always grown up. Yeah, I'm very lucky because I feel like I've got the best of both worlds. I can get into the city really quickly. Yeah. But then I've still got like the green and the lushness. Yeah, it's gorgeous The countryside. There. So yeah, I'm still there. What was your childhood like? Lovely, not traditional. So my mum and dad were foster carers and still are. So they've been fostering for coming up to 32 years. Wow. And they've had hundreds of children, even this morning. So I left my mum's house and at the moment she has got five 
placements. So, yeah, I grew up in a very chaotic but incredible Are you the oldest? No. So my parents have got four biological children. Yeah. And then they've got two children that they long-term fostered. Right. So pretty much that's pretty much like adoption. And then on top of that, they've had placements throughout the years. Yeah. So... So your whole life, that's all you've known? whole life. But where I'm the second eldest, so my eldest sister is only 13 months older than me. Right. So where we were the eldest, it was like we were like mums from such a young age. Yeah. Because I remember I was like six, seven, I'd always have babies on my hips. I've grown up with babies and my mum always, she's done all different ages, to be honest, like teenagers, like children, toddlers, babies, but babies is the most common age that she looks after. So, yeah, I've grown up with babies forever. What was that like, you know, having different children around? Or did you think you understood, or at what age did you understand that children were going to be coming and going? Well, I think where I was practically born into it, so I was only 13 months when my parents decided to become foster carers, and that was because my... It's crazy when I say this, but my mum didn't actually want to have children. No! Um, No. So she worked in fashion. Right. She had an amazing job and she travelled a lot with it and my dad was always desperate for children. So my mum had her first child at 30, which back then was classed as old. Yeah. Yeah. She had my sister when she was 30 and then I was... A lovely surprise, surprise, (laughs) the best surprise that ever came because then Georgia, my eldest sister, was only three months old and she fell pregnant with me. So then she had two, under two, and she was like, you know, I need to think of a new career. I can't go back into what I was doing, putting two children very young age through childcare. So as she explained, it was a complete fluke that she went into fostering. She just met somebody who explained to her what the job was and she put her forward to her local borough, which was Hackney, and they contacted her. There was a massive shortage for foster carers at the time, and to be honest, there still is now. And she became a foster carer when we were young and thought that maybe it was just something that she'd do until we went to school. Yeah. And she fell in love with it. And my mum is the most passionate, ambitious admirable woman in her career, in her field. Like, she has got so much experience now, but she absolutely loves what she does. So she's in her mid-60s now, and she is no way, like, slowing down at all anytime soon. She's so passionate about fostering. What was that like for you growing up? Look, I won't always paint, and I'm honest about it, I won't always paint, like, the good side of it. There was good, there was amazing There has to be, because also you're taking in children who are in situations that are out of their control and that's got to be massively, that's a lot for a young child to carry. Yeah, we always say like no child will come into care from coming from the perfect family. Yeah. So you're never going to get a perfect child. You're not going to get, there's some scenarios where the children come in and they're like amazing and you yeah. think, how are you so lovely and kind and like caring even though you've come from all of that. But some children come in and they are quite rightly very disruptive And I think that's part of the reward for my parents because Mm. they get to see their personalities like blossom and they nurture them and they settle. But I think as a child, yeah, there were like some disruptive times. Mm. I always say, and it's something that I've always said, for every negative aspect there is to fostering, like being part of a foster family, there's like a hundred positives. And honestly, it was the most 
incredible upbringing. Like, for one, we never, ever were lonely. Like, mm. it was like, have all your friends round. And it was just, like, amazing. You'd play out in the garden. That was us constantly. There was always so many children. Like, there was always, like, games to play. There was always so much, like, childhood imagination. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, like, chaotic, but I think children quite like that. I mean, I enjoyed it. And I was very, very lucky, actually, that I had a very good relationship with my grandparents on my mum's side, right. my maternal grandparents. So if ever I needed, like, time out from the madness, they always, like, came to my rescue. I spent a lot of time with them. On average, two days of the week was with oh, really? my grandparents. Yeah, it's nice that... You had that external support. Yeah, it was. Yeah, very, like, untraditional. Yeah. And a lot of people just wouldn't, like, get it. When I went to school, they just found the whole thing just bonkers. Because yeah. I think back then as well, like, fostering wasn't spoken about very often. Yeah. Well, I imagine if it was, it would be just shown in one light. Yeah. You know, nuances of it wouldn't have been seen or the different aspects of it and stuff. Yeah. And I just think, like, fostering wasn't celebrated as much as it is now. And also, not just foster families, but, like, all families. The world that we lived in back then wasn't as inclusive, was yeah. it? We didn't really speak out so openly about, Absolutely. like, single-parent families, foster families, same-sex families. Like, it was just kind of always spoken about as, like, the traditional setup. Two and point, I think Yeah, 2.4 children. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where the world has become so much better, that we now celebrate inclusivity. Yeah. Getting pregnant with Loretta. Yes. Tell me about the tarot cards. Oh, my gosh, mm. yeah. How did you find out about that? Did I put that on my Instagram, maybe? Some, I did a time? deep dive. It was somewhere. I think yeah. you must have really scrolled deep <laughs> on my Instagram because I post a lot. <laughs> I do my research. You do. really have, haven't you? You've gone back to, like, 2020. <laughs> so, yeah, I was on a trip in Mykonos like an influencer work trip and we did angel cards and it said that I was going to have a baby and then I think it was only like two months later. It was like later. a gift of God she, is, what the, yes. is what the actual card Yes, it was, did. Yeah. And I interpreted that as like a child and then it was quite shortly after that I felt, felt Did that pregnant. make you go, actually, now's the time? I think it was always discussed. So me and Loretta's father were together for two years. Yeah, it was like being discussed like yeah. around the time that I felt pregnant that, you know, I was going to come up off contraception and we were going to start trying. And it happened so quickly, like three days. So this is maybe something that people should take heed of. I thought once you've been on contraception for like a very long time, like I was on it for years, that maybe it would take some time for that to come well, out of your system. My period didn't even come back for a year. Didn't it? No. And then I only came back because I had to start taking something else to try and make something happen. Yeah. Well, I kind of assumed that, like, yeah, I wouldn't have a period for a long time. I wouldn't be able to get pregnant. And I've got polycystic ovaries, so throw that in the mix. (laughs) Yeah. And I was thinking, it might take me a while. So I thought, you know, I'll come off and hopefully it might happen within, like, six months to a year I was no way near planning for me my <laughs> me to fall pregnant as quickly as what I did because I actually went and filmed Celebrity Hunted when I was pregnant and obviously I didn't want to be pregnant filming that yeah. because of we were on the run and, you know, I had to bring my A game. I didn't. I was first out, thank goodness. I couldn't <laughs> wait to be caught because I was pregnant. I had morning sickness. It was horrific. But, yeah, I fell pregnant after three days of being off contraception. Oh, my 
God. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, well, tell me about finding out. What was that like? Um, so... Did something happen to make you go, oh, I should probably test? Especially if you're thinking I might not have a period for yeah. a long time. Only reason that I took the, the pregnancy te- yeah. test is because I was going on Celebrity Hunted. Right. And I thought, right, I'm off contraception, probably not pregnant. I've not got any symptoms, but maybe I should just check because of, I'm about to do this show and I don't know how long I'm going to be on the run for. So I just did it by myself, like not really expecting anything. And then I looked at it and I was like, what? How the hell has that happened? I didn't really think it could happen that quickly. And then the whole placebo effect, the minute that that test said that I was pregnant, every symptom known to the world, <laughs> I was sick. I was like, stomach going around. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to film this TV show? I've got every symptom, but it was like the placebo effect. I remember filming the... Um, titles of it I was so dizzy like I felt like I was just really like paralytically drunk I got that a lot through my first trimester like just felt like the world was spinning the whole time I didn't have like one feeling of being pregnant until I saw that I was pregnant that's really weird oh and you and Lucy were pregnant at the same time then so did you both do that show knowing that you were early doors pregnant we both found out within 24 hours no so I called her and was like (laughs) Lucy I'm pregnant. She was like, this is amazing. I was like, how am I going to do this show? And I was like, we can't tell the producers. because yeah. I, I can't tell anyone I'm pregnant because if I was like, must have been six weeks or whatever at that point, maybe even earlier. Oh, you're going to have to look after me. And she was just like, well, are you feeling anything? And I was like, I wasn't, but now my boobs are aching. I feel got morning sickness. And I was telling her all these feelings. And then she got off the phone she then started thinking, have I got all these symptoms as well? She was like, oh, I've started feeling that. She went and got a pregnancy test and called me back within like six, seven hours and was just like, I am as well. Oh, no. Yeah, we were both in like total shock. Although like both of us were off contraception, yeah. not, neither of us thought it was going to happen yeah. as quickly as what it did. So, I mean, it was good that we had each other on this show but, yeah, we were just... And you kept it secret the whole time? We kept it secret the whole time on that show. But we were, like, secretly hoping to be first out. <laughs> we were horrendous. Give money and run. Oh, my gosh. We were, <laughs> we were so bad. Like, that really wasn't our finest TV moments, for sure. We were, like, so irritable. The poor producer that was working with us the whole time, you know, we was, like, all we wanted to do was just sleep. And it's a yeah. lot of it is travelling as well. And we were constantly, like, in the car feeling sick. After that initial show finished, I think then the excitement started building up. Then I was like, oh, okay, right, I can be at home and yeah. enjoy this a little bit more. But then, I guess the early days, were you literally thinking, oh, my God, I've got this show to do? Was that the main thing taking up? Yeah, that was, like, the main thing that I was, like, worried about. And then when the show was over, I was like, oh, okay, now I can kind of get it, like, enjoy it. And then I broke up with Loretta's father. So, actually, I can't say that it was probably an enjoyable yeah. pregnancy. It was a very emotional time for me. Um, well, especially if you think you're heading in one direction. Yeah. You fall pregnant when you're feeling like you don't know if it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, especially with PCOS in the mix. Yes. And you see your future being one way and all of a sudden it's not looking like that. Definitely. It was the realisation that I wasn't going to be doing it the way that I set out to do it. Mm-hmm. I was always such a perfectionist. Yeah. It was a tough time. Definitely being pregnant, I didn't particularly, like, 
flourish in those times. Now I'm super grateful yeah. in the weirdest possible way. Like at the time it was really, really hard because it was totally unexpected. But now I'm grateful that it actually happened mm -hmm. the way it did because I don't think that we would have actually worked together. And I think that maybe it's best that it happened when I was pregnant. So it's like I always have done it by myself. Yeah. Because I think that that's when probably people find it tough being like a two-person team to then becoming a single parent. Mm. I think that they then find that journey tough to adapt to. Yeah. But where it's always been me doing it, it's there's nothing to compare it to. Yeah. This is a thing as well. You've always got to think everything in life happens for a reason. And well, I'm if you'd have broken up three months earlier... Then yeah. you wouldn't have Loretta, so... Exactly. And I am a massive believer in fate. Everything in life happens for a reason and that was supposed to be your journey. Mm. And when I was young, I thought it was going to be the perfect... What I envisioned back then was the perfect way. Get married and have children and do it properly. Be this happy, perfect family. That's thing, do it properly. That's how we're all conditioned. Definitely. And have this picket fence and chickens in my garden and be perfect, perfect. That was like the vision that I had. But I don't actually think that that is my journey. Mm. I think it was always supposed to be this way. Yeah. So I'm grateful that it did happen. At the time, don't get me wrong, it was hard believing that. And also a lot of other stuff to navigate when you're already going through something that's huge, that's life-changing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And hormones in the mix. Yeah. But I kept telling myself that everything in life happens for a reason and it was always meant to be this way. And now I am a like single mum and I have been for three and a half years. I definitely think it was always supposed to be this way. I yeah. was always supposed to have my first child by myself. Yeah. Because I think as well, like I've always wanted to be a mum because of my upbringing mm. and I've always you know, had children around me. But I think my whole life as well, I've always kind of had to give them back. And I think that I've always felt like I found that quite hard. And I think I found that harder as I'm getting older, like that attachment and then yeah. like having to give them back and stuff. And I, I've always been naturally a very maternal person. Once I fall in love, I fall in love like with these children. And I think that this was supposed to happen because I was supposed to have a baby by myself and I was supposed to give her all my love and her be just mine and mm. us have this, like, lovely little bond. And, yeah, I just think that... And also, as well, I think maybe because my platform and maybe I was supposed to be a single mum so that I can also share my experience and my world with other people going through similar circumstances. Because, yeah. look, I'm not the first woman that's been left when she's pregnant and I'm not going to be the last one. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just being able to speak about that and say, like... Is it difficult to speak about it, though, in terms of protecting your heart and your almost privacy and, you know, yeah. everything that's going on? Do you know what I mean? Because you can share, yeah. but there's got to be parts that are difficult to talk about. I feel like I'm a lot more open to speak about it now. I've never wanted to speak about it as much back then because I was always cautious that I would hurt Loretta's father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never wanted to, like, rock the boat there as yeah. well because no matter what's happened between us, he will always be Loretta's father. Yeah. And I will always love and care for him and I would always want that to be positive. 
I don't want her or anyone to ever think negatively upon mm, him. Mm-hmm. And we're in a very good place now. I don't want to rock that. Yeah. yeah, so I feel like I was always quite nervous about speaking about it in the past as well because at the beginning when we weren't together as well, like it wasn't always a great relationship. Naturally, we weren't together. So, you know, there was always going to be like navigating how it was going to happen. And also as well, like there was hurt, as I said, you know, at the time I kept telling myself, you know, everything in life happens for a reason. But at the beginning there was hurt and there was upset there. So it wasn't always great. And I think that, you know, we've got to a great place that I feel like I can speak about it Mm. and I feel happy about it. And I've always been nervous maybe beforehand because I've never wanted people to maybe feel wrongly about him because he's not a bad person. Yeah. It's just life. Yeah. This is life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Talk to me about telling like your family because I watched the video and it is so utterly gorgeous. <laughs> you made little cards for everyone. I did. And I basically, it was like a bit of a cheat. So not cheat, it was like a bit of a prank. So my best friend who is like a cousin, basically, we've grown up together. She was pregnant and she announced that she was pregnant like four months before. So I pretended that the card was for her like, baby, welcoming baby, party type thing. So my sister, I don't know if you remember the video, my sister just wasn't getting it. My youngest (laughs) sister, Romana, she just wasn't, like, getting it. But, yeah, they were so happy because it's my parents' first grandchild. But there's literally a point in the video where if there's hysterical laughter and tears, like, you can just feel that emotion coming through. I'm so glad that I filmed the moment. Yeah. But the thing is, where the camera was hidden, you couldn't quite see everybody. No one really got into shot very well. No. You didn't really... it wasn't like a polished videographer, <laughs> like, filming it. But you got, like, yeah, all the real, raw yeah. emotions. They were so happy, like, so happy. And also, as well, this is the other thing where I feel like I was very lucky. I always feel like, for me, as everything in life happens at the right time. And Loretta was born two weeks before the pandemic. Sorry, not before the pandemic, before we went into lockdown. Yeah. For my family, she was the most amazing blessing because I locked down with them and we all kind of got to bring her up together at the beginning. So I was very lucky that although I was a single mum, like I got to lock down with my parents and my brothers and sisters during the toughest time, the newborn Mm -hmm. time, which is really, really tough. And I had like all of these people like helping me do it. Yeah. So she came into our lives the perfect time. How was the rest of your pregnancy? Yeah, so the first trimester, there was a lot of sickness. And then the rest of the pregnancy, yeah, although there were times when I probably felt quite lonely in the pregnancy, like, don't get me wrong, I've got loads of friends and loads of family, but it felt quite lonely that I wasn't doing it with someone. Those were moments that I used to get. But, again, that whole thing, like, just kept telling myself, like, there is a reason for this. Mm. Like, this is the way it's supposed to be. You will get out of the other side. And then Loretta was born. Hold on, we're going to have to have a little birth story here. Come on. The most amazing birth. Well, how did you feel going into it? Did you feel like you were... I was so prepared. Really? Because just like Kate Middleton, I did hypnobirthing. And me. I think I did it after listening to your podcast, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, I need to get me some of that. Because this is the thing as well. Podcasts became like a big thing when I was pregnant as well because of... I was just trying to constantly, like try and listen to somebody who had been through a similar experience yeah. to me. All I wanted to do was just like pinning on to like listening to podcasts of anybody that was like single parents and stuff. Yeah, I think I remember 
thinking that I'm going to do hypnobirthing after I listen to Kate Middleton's podcast um, with you. Even though it's not spiritual, I'm quite a spiritual person and I believe in, like, the mind is very powerful over the body. So I went into it very positively. And I don't know if that's the only thing that made the birth amazing. I think there's a lot of factors involved, like my mum historically like had great births and right. I think that that's a big Might factor. Be a genetic thing, yeah. yeah. But also I think hypnobirthing definitely helped as well. So I went into it very positive. I was very excited to meet my baby. Where um, were you when you first started realising you were in labour? So this is like where people are going to think that I'm like I am woman and I honestly don't know how this happened. But so I was renovating my home at the time with my dad and I thought I weed myself. I was lifting a sofa <laughs> with my dad. My dad was like, we shouldn't be doing this. All throughout my pregnancy, I was renovating this house. I was nesting on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> Where me and Loretta's dad went together, I really wanted to stay in the house I'd lived in for so many years, but I just had to like make it suitable for a baby. So my waters broke, but I thought I wet myself because it was only slight. And I said to my dad, oh, I've got to sit down. Anyway, my dad bundled me into his van and we drove home. And I was like, I don't know if this is Labour or this is Braxton Hicks because I was early. Yeah. I was like, I think this might just be Braxton Hicks. I was very lucky that I had my mum's best friend, Jo, was a midwife and she became like a private midwife for me yeah. all throughout my labour, just as like my mum's friend. Yeah. I called her and I said, I think I might be having Braxton Hicks. I'm not 100% certain though, so would you mind coming over and checking me? And she said, yeah, sure, this is like 5pm. So she was like, yeah, sure, it is rush hour. So just bear with me. So I was just like, yeah, no problem. Called Loretta's dad. So he's North London's and I'm East London's. I was like, I might just go in through Braxton Hicks. I'm getting Joe, the midwife, to come over. So maybe you should come over. He was like, okay, it might take me a little while because of rush hour, but I'm going to try my hardest. <laughs> Everyone's like trying rush hour to get to me. By the time my midwife got to me, so this would have been like six o'clock, she measured me and she said, you're five centimetres dilated. <gasps> we need to get you to a hospital right away. <laughs> So I was just like, oh, okay, this is happening. <laughs> so we've got in our car, we've drove there. By 11 o'clock, I gave birth to Loretta. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I think she was born... It's on my keys. I think it was 11.03. And I got there and I had everything that I wanted. So I gave birth at the hospital, but it's like a birthing unit attached to the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like a labour ward. It's like you can give birth in the water. There's water pools and stuff. And it's the same hospital that I was born at, Whips oh. Cross, in Leighton Stone. That's where Loretta was born. And, yeah, I gave birth in a birthing pool. It was lovely because they just, like, recently renovated it. I think like that year, so everything was like brand new. <laughs> Honestly, it felt like a whole private experience. They had, like, flickering battery flicker, obviously not real candles, but battery flickered candles all around the pool. We jacked up my music to, like, <laughs> the music and I had, like, my own music playing. It feels like I honestly had, like, a whole private... Who was with you? Because she was born two weeks before COVID. Yeah. I was allowed to have two birthing partners, so I had my mum... Loretta's dad. Mm -hmm. My private midwife, Jo, actually worked for Whips Cross Hospital, so amazing. she was there. Yeah. And then one other midwife. And everything went amazing, yeah. So did all my tests, got me in the water. I had playing in the background. My favourite movie is The Holiday. Yeah. And I love the soundtrack of The Holiday. It's like a classical composer. Mm -hmm. I never would listen to classical music, but it's just so relaxing. So I had that album playing 
Hans Zimmer, he's called the, the classical <laughs> um, composer. I had the holiday playing in the background and it was just lovely. I filmed the whole thing just so I can look back on it. Yeah. And I watch it back sometimes and I cry all the time because it's just such, it's so lovely. Um, How did it feel watching that back the first time? Because I think about my birth, it's such an out-of-body experience. Yeah. For me, I felt like I had to really give myself over to what my body was doing. Yeah. And not that's the hypnobirthing thing, I guess. It's not fighting it. It's yeah. just kind of trusting your body and breathing into it and trusting that your breath is going to make everything happen. It's yeah. helping it rather than fighting it. The part of hypnobirthing that I really put into practice... So you did hypnobirthing. Yeah, so, you know, they talk yeah. about like the peak. So you'd go up to the peak and you take it and then you come down again. Yeah. So I kept just thinking every contraction that I had, right, I'm going to peak. And I kind of treated it as like, it sounds so silly, but it worked for me. I kind of treated it like waves. And I thought, and I was in the water and I thought, right, I'm going to peak. It's going to be a really like strong wave. And then it's going to come down and it will be just nicely <laughs> washing against the shore. And that was just like a visualisation yeah. that I just kept doing in my mind and just, yeah, like breathing into it and just allowing my body, yeah, to just take course. It just happened so lovely for me. Don't get me wrong, there were parts of it that were like... Oh, the ring of fire. I mean, the yeah, ring of fire is the ring of fire. That was the hardest it? bit, yeah. yeah. There's no sugarcoating that bit. But, <laughs> but I didn't tear and, yeah, and it was just all like very natural. So in the water, gas and air. I did have gas and air. And there were some times where I was like, oh, and they were like, you've got to get off the gas in there. Come on, we've got a contraction coming. But the only thing that I will say that I struggled with is when I then give birth to Loretta, where I was in the water, and I think most people that are in the water give birth the same way, where you're on all fours and then you're, like, leaning over the tub. Mm -hmm. When she came out, it was like this horrific panic that I was going to sit on her because then they were like, Twist around, and obviously you're still connected by the umbilical cord. Yeah, yeah, Twist yeah. around and we'll put you on her skin on skin, like put her on your chest. And I was like, well, how do I manoeuvre my leg? Like, where is she? Because you can't see, like, she's behind me in the water. And it was like trying to manoeuvre so that I could get her on my chest yeah. without kicking her in the head or sitting on her. And then I remember her being put on me and where she was just still connected to via the umbilical cord. All I kept thinking was, who does she look like? Who does she look like? And I was like... <laughs> and at that point, they don't really look like anyone. They're so... No, blowing. my daughter came out and she was 100% her dad. And I was like, <laughs> my whole pregnancy, I was like, I really, want the, I really want her to look like me. I really want her to look like me. Like, you know, like, I really want to have this baby with, like, curly blonde hair and blue eyes. And I was like... Who does she look like? Who does she look like? And her dad like leant down and was like, she is 100% me. And I was like, no! And that's so difficult because that's someone that's obviously, that's such an, like, a whirlwind of emotions. There's a lot of hurt there. And then this baby yeah. that you've grown. 100% Lee. It's all right. It's, it's nature. Na do you know what? Nature actually does that with girls. Everyone's told me that. But, and yeah. they said, oh, and then they start blending more into you. My daughter is all her dad. There's not even an earlobe that is like me. Every feature on my daughter looks like her dad. But, you know, that's fine. We've got over that now. But at the time I was like, why does she not look like me a little bit? And then, yeah, I remember them putting her on my chest and, like, she quite, oh, it was just so beautiful. It was so beautiful. Do you feel like you could take it all in straight away or was it 
so where I gave birth so quickly, my body kind of went a little bit into shock. Yeah. So I was really like violently shaking. So when I got out of the pool to deliver the placenta and that I didn't give birth naturally, they said, do you want to? Oh, yeah. At that point. I was like, screw it. And just I was so shaking yeah. and I was just like, give me the injection. Like, yeah, let's just just felt like uncontrollably shaking. I couldn't really hold it. I was so nervous about holding her where I was shaking so much. So I gave her to her dad and they put like some foil on me and stuff where I was like just violently shaking. So I think at the beginning it was all just a little bit like chaotic and then they were doing all the tests and stuff, weighing her and everything. We managed to actually stay at the hospital overnight and that was quite nice. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. How did it feel when you first held Loretta? I think at the beginning, it's just like that euphoria and like dizziness, isn't it? Mm. I think then when I took her home, and I think, again, this is the whole thing, where she looked nothing like me, I think it was really hard just thinking that she was mine. Yeah. I think I had like this picture in my head of what my child was going to look like and where she did come out with like jet black hair dark eyes dark skin like her dad I just kept thinking she doesn't look like me at all and it was like I can't believe that she's my baby when she looks like, <laughs> it, it like weren't looking at a mini me type yeah. thing and then I just think yeah as the days progress and the weeks progress then you start feeling like, oh, my God, she is mine. Yeah. It's just hard thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that this is mine and this is mine forever. But there's so much pressure, like we talk about it quite a bit, that there's so much pressure on that those initial moments and that bond. Yeah. I feel like you're meant to, we're told through films or whatever that we're meant to lock eyes with our baby and that's it. The world makes sense and there's an instant bond. Yeah. And, you know, and I think actually it's a stranger. It grows. It grows, yeah. For sure. Don't get me wrong, like, the minute I had her, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you get that love and that yeah. euphoric love. Yeah. I felt that love, but it was hard feeling like she was totally connected to me. Yeah. It was hard for me to, like, you know, fully understand that I'm a mum now and this is, like... Yeah. She's mine forever and... Yeah, I think that then grows, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's not like you instantly feel like a mum. No. I do also think this was another thing that I had, like, where I had two weeks in between Loretta being born and going into lockdown, there was two weeks of, like, intense visitors. Yeah. And that, if I could do anything again, I would shut the door and say no visitors. Yeah. Because that was the thing that I found really intense. And mm. I remember there was times where I would, like, 
just cry go upstairs. <laughs> and the thing is, well, where I was living with my parents, I was renovating my home and it wasn't quite finished. So I brought Loretta home to my parents and ended up locking down with them. And where my parents' house has always been, like, chaos because of, like, fostering, it's always just been, like, the hub, the yeah. home. Everyone just feels like they can come round the whole time because they're like, what difference does it make? Three more people. There's so many people that live in this house. It's a good thing. It's always been like an open house. Yeah. There's always been like nine people that live in the house and then people knock and come in whenever they wish. I went home there and I was just, yeah, absolutely inundated with guests. I remember when the midwife came round, so it would have been pre like two weeks, like maybe that first midwife visit. And she came into my room and she was just like, there shouldn't be 11 people in this room. <laughs> there was like 11, like my friends, my family, like it was just chaos. There was just people constantly there. And I felt like COVID like, was beginning, all that worry, like, oh my gosh, like what if she catches COVID? Yeah. And then all these people in the house the whole time. And I felt like maybe I couldn't quite tell people to go away. Yeah. I think that that's something in me that has developed and come more now that I'm a mum and fully into my mum role. Now I can be a lot more assertive. Yeah. Now I'd say, like, no, go away. This is my priority. My daughter's my priority. Building a bond with us, us two getting our sleep, mm -hmm. me being able to breastfeed, do all the things that were important to me at the beginning without everybody here. Yeah. I always found that I'd get people turning up and they yeah. had runny noses or they were coughing. You're like, what Gosh. are you doing? There was someone that turned up and I won't say who it was. She had the end of a cold sore um. and she held Loretta. I went up to my room and I had like a breakdown because there's all these things online about like cold sores can kill. And she was not to know. She doesn't have children. Oh, my gosh, it was like I had this mental breakdown. I was like, oh, my God, my child. I think that I've become stronger as a person. As I've got older as a mum, I will say when I don't want something to happen. Yeah. But I think before having Loretta and at the beginning of having Loretta, I wasn't as assertive. Yeah. But, yeah, if I could do anything again, it would be closing the door, no visitors, and my second child, third child, any of my friends and family that listen to this, you're not coming round for the first month. <laughs> Maybe three weeks. <laughs> Immediate family can visit. But, yeah. like, it's just too intense otherwise, I, I feel. Yeah. I think if people can come over and they can help themselves with the kettle and the biscuit jar yeah. and make sure you've got some food, that's nice. Yeah. I just think the way that I felt at the time, I just I didn't even want them breathing the same air as us. I just wanted them out. Well, so I just what, wanted to be with my baby. What a strange time to be with a newborn when there's so much turmoil going on around the world. Like, I know that I was transfixed to the news in a really negative way, you know, just yeah. watching these. Every day we were just looking at the news for numbers, like, yeah, and just that fear to lock down. And, you know, I think especially when you're a new mum and that feeling of protectiveness and, yeah. you know, but also being quite overwhelmed with what your new situation is anyway. To have that all added on top, that's a lot. Yeah, and also as well, like they say, don't they, maybe not my labour, but most labours are like three marathons. Mm. And it's like, you just need to rest yeah. and recover. You don't really need people in all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to like COVID, when I locked down after two weeks of Loretta being born, I found it just like so magical and so like blissful yeah. and peaceful and just like, I really just loved that, like, newborn bubble. So I think 
when I next have children, I'm creating my low. I'm locked down. <laughs> I'm saying no. <laughs> I'm in lockdown now because <laughs> that was what I loved the most. Yeah. Just being at home with my baby. Well, it takes away the pressures of other people as well. Yeah. And I think that that's why it was so nice at the beginning as well because there was no pressure of like being anywhere, entertaining anybody else, mm. no real like pressures on time. Yeah. How did you get on with feeding? So I breastfed Loretta till she was exclusive till she was six weeks. At six weeks to eight weeks, I did combination. And then at eight weeks, I formula fed. I found it quite intense, the breastfeeding. Mm. I put enormous pressure on myself that I was going to breastfeed for six months. Yeah. And Where did that come from? Was it just something that you thought that's what you wanted to do? Was there something? Mm, in my head, I just felt like I wanted to give her the best. And, you know, I still stand by that, that the milk out of your breast is obviously better than formula. That is best because it's coming from you. I've always tried to go for, like, natural products mm. and eat healthy. I'm quite like a health-conscious person. So in my head, I was like, I so want to give her, like, what I've made in this natural liquid gold and then it got to six weeks when I was really struggling and I had like milk fever this one time and it was really horrific and I was just pumping constantly and like my boobs felt so sore and I just was never getting enough and my mum was like stop I know you want to breastfeed I totally get it but this is affecting you. Mm. And whilst I do believe that the milk from our breast is better, I also believe in nourishing a newborn isn't just through what you're giving them, feeding them. It's also through how you're stimulating them, your happiness and your smiles and you're talking to them. And in the end, it was like, yeah, I can give her my breast milk, which is the best that I'm putting in her, in terms of feeding her, but then if I'm exhausted all day, sleeping and just, like, miserable, then I'm not going to be stimulating her enough. So you have to work out it's not just what you're feeding them, it's what you're giving them in terms of you. Yeah. And if you're not giving them the best of you, then that's another part that's suffering. So you have to, like, make the compromise, don't you? It was just, like, balancing yeah. it out. So Because there was that pressure that you yeah. put on yourself, because I was the same, how did you feel you eventually went, you know what, actually... Heartbroken. Did you? It was my mum that did it as well, and I was really angry with her. I exclusively breastfed till I was six weeks, so it was only me doing the night feeds, and my mum was like, let me do a night feed for you, and you can just get one night good sleep. The newborn stage, as beautiful as it is, it's the hardest bit yeah. because of the sleep deprivation. That is the torturous part of the newborn stage and why probably people may get that confused with, like, postnatal depression. Don't get me wrong, postnatal depression is a thing and that's a whole other thing. But I think I was thinking, oh, my gosh, is this postnatal depression? Mm. But it's not. It was just... I just needed sleep. Like, your mind does tricks on you yeah. when you've not slept. And at that point, yeah, I was, like, six weeks into disturbed sleep every two hours... And the thing is as well, I'm a really bad sleeper anyway, so she'd wake up after the two hours. It would take me an hour to get back to sleep and then she was up again. So it was like constant broken sleep and just very little of it. So when she was six weeks old, my mum was like, 
give me the baby. I've had hundreds, because that's the thing, you're very territorial at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, it's this, this, this is my structure, this is my routine, this is what I'm following, blah, blah, blah. No one intervened. And mum was like, I have had hundreds of babies. <laughs> if anyone can look after a baby, it's me. Hand her over, I'll do one night. So I was like, okay, writing her a whole list, this is what you need to do, da, 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 da. I'll pump, I'll give you this. Had a whole little like routine and structure. And um Mum gave her my breast milk that I'd expressed and she just said that she wasn't settling. So she topped her up with formula. And I know a lot of people I know a lot of people be like, How dare your mum? (laughs) And at the time I felt that as well. The next morning she told me and I was like, What? You gave her that poison? I was like, how do you, you're never doing a night feed again. She was like, she really settled. She was just like, you know, maybe like you just need to try it. And so, and the thing is, a lot of people will be feeling like angry, like thinking, oh, your mum should never have done that. But then where we are so close. I can imagine being in that room and just hearing about it. I want to just sit in the corner, kind of covering my eyes, but not covering my eyes and taking it all in. I regretted every hour that I slept. Did you? (laughs) That morning, I regretted every hour. I was like, why did I sleep? Why did I sleep so peacefully? And then after that, I think where I lived with her, like we just had you in lockdown. There's no way you can't escape. Exactly. And the thing is, I am naturally a very forgiving person. I get over things quite quickly. I mean, I'm friends with all my ex-boyfriends and people just don't get it. But I am just a very forgiving person. I was like, okay, right, we'll move on. Everything in life happens a reason. I'm trying to think of this motto. Yeah, I think it was like once I initially got over like the upset and the hurt, I think then like two days after that, I finished the breastfeeding and my mum was like, why don't you just top her up, you know, with a little bit of formula? Mm. She's already had it. So then I did it and I found that she was settling a lot better and that's how I kind of like transitioned. And then by eight weeks she was on formula. Then I think I was like maybe like two weeks into like sleeping lovely and thinking, oh my God, I've cracked this, this is amazing. And then I started thinking, oh, you know, the novelty of having good sleep at war off and I was like, oh, I would quite like to breastfeed again. Did you try? I think I probably did, yeah, trying to think back. I think I probably tried to put her on my boob a few times and I just think she was, like, uninterested at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I think next time around I would like to try and do it a little bit longer, but I think subconsciously, like, now I don't think I would make it such a big deal if I did have to introduce formula. Yeah. It wouldn't break my heart as much. I think that... You probably, after experience, the more children that you have, the less pressure that you put on yourself. Yeah. I mean, you can answer for this, but given her formula was like a big pang on my heart and I think I wouldn't feel the same with the second child, sending her to nursery was like a massive debate that I had with myself. Really? Horrendous. And second child, I wouldn't do that as much. What was that big debate? How old was she? I sent her to nursery when she was 16 months old and it was the biggest war that I had with myself. I cried about it for weeks. I felt so guilty about it. I used to do polls on my Instagram the whole time just trying to think what other mums were doing. I was like, how old was your child when you sent them to nursery? And then they'd have to vote what they... (laughs) I was like constantly like just trying to research about it because of I went back to work when Loretta was very young because, like you, 
I don't get a maternity pay. Mm-hmm. I work for myself and I also enjoy what I do. I'm very lucky. Like, I'm in a very career-fulfilling job and I've always been lucky that I can steer my career in the way that I want to, so mm. I always enjoy it. When you have a child, the doors open for you so much in terms of brands want to work with you. So for me, I was getting all these opportunities and it kind of felt like right to just take it and not really take Mm. maternity leave. And when she was young, it was so easy to manage because, as we know, babies sleep so much. So I was like, this is brilliant. I can work and I've got Loretta. She sleeps so much in the day, so while she's asleep, I can film all my content and do all these lovely things and work with all these amazing brands. And I'm living the dream, really, because I've got a career and I've got a child. And I really, like, loved it and enjoyed it. And it was so manageable. I'm one of these people as well, like, I, I've i always got to be doing things. Yeah. So I think for me, if I did have to completely stop, I don't know if I would feel fully fulfilled. Mm. Like, if I did just completely stop, I think for me, I've always had to have, like, my brain ticking. Yeah. And then it got to her turning one and then it became harder to manage because, as we know, they stopped napping for as much. It became harder to manage and I was still so busy. It wasn't slowing down like all of the, you know, lovely mummy sort of stuff. My parents were helping out when they could and I was just kind of like juggling but then also where my career isn't a normal nine-to-five, I can kind of work whatever hours I want. Mm -hmm. So I'd put her to bed and then I'd film a lot of my content or I'd edit things and I'd do my contracts and stuff then. But then I was up till quite late. So it got to about 16 months when it was, like, really hard to manage. Yeah. So I was like, shall I consider nursery? And I just felt so guilty for thinking it because I was like, she should be with me, she's too young and... A lot of nurseries as well take it too, don't they? Like what I found around where I lived, I was like, oh, my gosh, the majority of mums obviously don't send their children till they're two because of... That's quite late. Yeah. A lot of nurseries that I was approaching, they were like, we don't take till they're two. Oh, I shouldn't be even considering it then. Well, if you think most maternity leaves... Some of them are know, like six months, yeah, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. So those kids have to go somewhere. Exactly. I just felt so awful for, like, even considering it. I could have just turned down the work and just not sent her. But I was like, I really enjoy this. Mm. And I don't want to, like, put this on pause and then who's to say that I could just pick it up again? And I thought, I really want to do the both. And I felt guilty about wanting to do the both. Did you vocalise the fact that you were feeling guilty? Because I'm sure had you vocalised that, you would have got an influx of people going... I felt that. Yeah, I did. And this is why I think, like, people are all quick to, like, shun down social media. But it's, like, such a great community for Mm. for people. Yeah, like, I'd I'd constantly be, like, asking things on Instagram and people would be like, you know, it's fine and I'm a mum and I did this. and So, yeah, a lot of people would give me, like, support and reassurance. But I just think sometimes it's just, like, a mental battle with yourself. And I think as well, obviously... I was a single mum and although we locked down with my parents, at this point now we were living back at my home. Yeah. We slept together. She'd only ever, like, slept every night with me. At that point she'd never done, like, any overnights at my parents. We'd always been together and where it was locked down, like, 
I don't think I had a night out until she was like two. Mm. We'd never been apart from each other. When I first sent her to nursery, the separation anxiety was hell. Like I would come away from the nursery in floods of tears and then I wouldn't even be able to work for the first hour. <laughs> and I'd be like playing with like my head, like, shall I just go back and pick her up? And that went on for a long time. Really? Yeah, she just never wanted to go to nursery. And then it just got better. And now, like, she really enjoys nursery. Yeah. She's got all her little best friends. I do think it's important, you know, it's an important element of childhood for them to have that, like, independence. Yeah. And also as well, like, I wouldn't have been able to buy the house that we live in now had I have not worked that hard yeah, in those yeah. two years and took up all those opportunities. Yeah. So it's like the compromise. Providing means many different things. Exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. And it was like a dream. Like We moved back to the house that I renovated, but I didn't have a garden. It was like, I really just want to buy a house with a garden and, you know, and I really want to. So it's like, you know, I did have to send her to nursery when she was 16 months old, but we wouldn't have this beautiful home that we're living yeah. in now that she loves. And so you just have to make compromises, like with the milk and breast milk and formula. It's compromising mm -hmm. with all the outcomes and there's loads of factors. Yeah. If you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? I think I would write a letter to myself when I was pregnant mm -hmm. and also share that with anyone that's facing pregnancy alone. Because as I said, you know, when I was going through it, it was the worst thing in the world, but I'm not the first person that it's happened to and I won't be the last. And I think it can be a really scary time and I think I would just write to myself and say, when this baby comes, it will be the best thing that ever happens to you and everything will work out and you'll find a flow and you'll find a dynamic that works for you. Don't worry what everyone else thinks because mm. that's a massive factor, I think. Whilst I was so nervous when I was pregnant, I think pre-children and maybe just like youth, you worry so much about what everyone thinks of you. Yeah. I think when you have children, you really grow into yourself and feel confident in the decisions that you've made and you become more assertive and stronger, mm. I think I would just tell myself, like, doesn't matter what anyone thinks and anyone's judgments. You live your life the way that you want to live your life. The more that you worry less about what other people think, the happier you'll be. Yeah. Uh, and we end the podcast with you completing three sentences. The first one is being a mum means... Being a mum means making someone else your priority you're no longer the leading character in your own life are you a new person is and they become your entire focus mm. your entire universe and whilst that can feel daunting I also think the innocence and the pureness that comes through children also means that you get like a second chance to live your life yeah. and you're living it through their eyes. And I just think the world just becomes a lot more colourful because of that. Mm. Since having a child, I? I have definitely become stronger, mm -hmm. more confident in who I am, more determined at like work and, you know, success 
and success comes in many different ways. But like, I just feel like a lot more passionate about the things that I do. And I'm happy when? I'm happy when I am in bed with Loretta, co-sleeping, and we have that like, I'd say 30 minutes before it becomes annoying that she's not going to sleep. <laughs> there's a window, there's always a window. Actually, I'm going to reduce that. <laughs> 20 minutes before it becomes annoying that she's not going to sleep. <laughs> and she's trying so hard not to go to sleep. She comes up with all these conversations oh. and they're so imaginative. And she's so loving because she doesn't want me to have a go at her for not, not going to sleep. <laughs> it's just blissful and peaceful. Mm. And we're getting ready for bed. And we're all bathed and relaxed. And she's just chat, chat, chatting, avoiding sleep. Um, and about yeah. 20 minutes. Then after that, that's not minutes. happy. But Yeah, the other after that, the 20 minutes becomes frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> but that window is lovely. It's the happy time. Yes. <laughs> Lydia, thank you so much. It's been so gorgeous to chat to you. Oh, it's been lovely. I can't believe how quickly it's gone. I know, I we know. We could chat forever. I know. We'll have to continue <laughs> after. It's all right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We have something very exciting to talk about today. Happy mum, happy baby. Well, we are expanding. We're only releasing our very first record. Yes, move over McFly, move over Tom Fletcher. It's all about happy mum, happy baby. We're going into music, people. We have teamed up with Decca Records and LifeScore to build a one-stop shop for quality, trustworthy, educational music for baby, toddler and parent. Music is such a massive part of our family and I'm so thrilled with what we've created. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, it's worth saying that all the sounds in the album, they are played by real instruments and they feature real nature sounds. There is nothing processed. It is all organic. And all of the music aims to be enjoyable listening experience for both the child and the parent. No plonky plonky piano. It's all just beautiful musicians with their instruments. Honestly, it's a joy to listen to. We all know the number one rule for getting your little one to sleep is to stick to a trusted routine. And my hope with this album is that our creation can be a part of that and make bedtime an easier transition for all. The Ultimate Baby Sleep album is here and it encompasses three parts of baby sleep. And it runs in three sections. Wind down, going to sleep and staying asleep, running seamlessly from top to bottom for the ultimate baby sleep experience. And each section lasts around 30 minutes. So let's delve into each section and tell you what they're about. The wind down is a perfect calming music for bath time and any other pre-bed activity. This encourages special bonding time between parent and baby to prepare for sleep. The melodies I've chosen to feature within the music have a very special place within my own experience of sleep routine. I loved singing little ditties or little lullabies and, and this, it's just got that lovely, gentle, melodic feeling to it. The melodies can be easily hummed by parents to capture the bonding power of a parent's voice. And actually, as you listen to the music, you might even catch a few melodies of some traditional classics that were just... Ah, oh, they just fill my heart with such love. The next section we have is called Going to Sleep. How we created this was so interesting and I absolutely love the recording process to kind of really feel that breath actually of the musicians as they were playing. 
It also features natural sounds and it entwines the lullabies from the previous wind down to encourage baby to nod off at their own pace and in a relaxed state of mind. Those two sections, they kind of work together and they build. We've found that this is the ideal transition for baby to acknowledge that it is now time to go to sleep. And then the next section, the final section, is during sleep or staying asleep. I like to call it staying asleep because that's the dream, people. But it provides 30 minutes of natural and environmental white noise derived from nature sounds. And then actually this leads into an additional nine and a half hours of natural white noise for babies to prefer continuous white noise once asleep. No waking up in the middle of the night to press a little button on a sheep. Not anymore. There's been so much thought and love poured into these tracks. We've gone through so many different versions. I've pulled on the music that I love, that makes me feel nice and calm. And together with LifeScore and Decca Records, we've really created something that I feel is really magical. I've played it to my kids. They love it. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Can you imagine they didn't? And actually, I have to say that even as an adult, sitting at my desk and listening to different versions, I have often fallen asleep in the best way, in a very contented way. Some might call it work, some might call it a nice little nap. Either way, I loved it and it was all because of this album. With 12 hours of continuous music to help your baby sleep through the night, we are so proud to introduce you to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, The Sleep Album. I can't wait for you to hear it and then for you to tell me how you're getting on. <laughs> 